So you would think that somebody who's successful, like John, making three to four million dollars a year, would pick a business that is, you know, has great strong cash flows, you know, healthy revenue stream, you know, great balance sheet. Not his intuition. His intuition picks a tiny bankrupt little restaurant. So he quits, rolls up his sleeves, and walks into that tiny bankrupt little restaurant. That restaurant was Eastside Mario's location number one. And he grew that one location to over a thousand under different franchise locations, including the beer market. Um, and in 20 years, by the time he retired, he grew that into a $2 billion behemoth, all because it felt right. And that's the power of intuition. Winning at Work, episode 44 with Sunil Godsey. I have an intuition, right? I have a gut feeling. I'm used to paying attention to that. But it turns out that many people, including myself, we miss many of the signals. We overlook that feeling, that little nudge that we should be paying attention to. And my next guest, Sunil Godsey, he made a series of bad decisions and he spent thousands of hours on research and interviews to stop people from wasting time and making bad decisions by sharpening their intuition. He's the author of two books, Fail Fast and Succeed Faster and Gut. And in this episode, Sunil breaks down really the process of understanding what intuition is to uncover and show and teach us how to better tap into and use intuition in our personal life, how to solve problems, how to use it in business setting. And he has so many great anecdotes of people in business who've been very, very successful when they've learned to trust and hone this skill. We put out a challenge for you to take his seven-step challenge. I'm going to try it. I hope you do too. And I hope someone's brave enough to come back on and let's talk about the results. Hey guys, I hope you're really enjoying winning at work. If you're listening on Spotify, if you're listening on iTunes, give it a rating, share it, subscribe. Let's increase the influence that these wonderful guests are spreading to us. We can spread it to others. Stay tuned for today's episode. This is definitely a topic that is of high interest to me because I have often had a gut feeling or I've had a reaction or I've had what some call, you know, intuition. Maybe you call it spiritual sense. There's lots of different phrases for what our next guest is going to discuss with us. Sunil, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Tony. Uh, thanks for having me and uh, really happy to dro drop some knowledge bombs here, uh, both on the personal side and more importantly, business side. And <laughs> what's really funny is um, the whole journey of intuition came from a book I wrote about business. And so this is going to be highly relevant for your audience for sure. Well, you know, you're the first person that I've ever met that's actually, you know, turned this into a business, turned it into a book. Most of us just kind of dabble with this concept, but you've gone a lot further. What, what even started this process for you, this journey? Yeah. So, so my first book called Fail Fast, Succeed Faster, the premise behind that was because I've made a career helping others with their mistakes or their failures, I figured that, you know, there's so many of them that if I write a book on highlighting these mistakes and failures that executives and, and the entrepreneurs have done, then the premise is if you read that book and you didn't repeat those mistakes, you should be able to succeed faster. And then when I started going on stages around the world talking about this book, the one question I kept getting is, Sunil, give me the one thing that is going to make me successful. And I kind of rolled my eyes at the time and said, I, I didn't come here with a cue card or a PDF sheet. I mean, there's just a 400, 400 page book here with lots of stories <laughs> filled in it. That uh, there's not this one thing until I went back to the audio recordings of the, from that first book. And I had interviewed close to it was exactly 286 uh, people for that book. And 80 to 90% of them said that the reason they got into business hurdles or business failure was because they used some form of, I ignored my intuition, I ignored my gut. I knew what the decision was. I knew what I should have done, but I ignored that decision. Something like that. And it really focused on this thing called intuition. And I'm thinking, huh, that's really interesting. Uh, and so I said, okay, so when has intuition really kind of played a role in my life? 
And so when I look back, the first time I remember intuition kind of hitting me, my first brush with it, so to speak, was when I was five years old. I remember, distinctly remember, that there was these video games that my dad wanted me to buy, or I wanted to buy, and my dad was saying that they were too expensive. And this voice just is clear saying, Sunil, go door to door to raise money. I had never done that before. And so I just followed that voice. And lots of milk and cookies later, I raised $200. $100 went to my dad for the video games and the other $100 went to charity for my school because I felt really good about doing that. You know, and I remember that voice so loudly, but there were other times where that there was these some things that were nudging me to make a decision and I ignored them. And three big examples come right away when I was thinking about this. First was my career. Uh, you know, for those who can't, you obviously can't see who I am. I'm a South Asian male. And so when you drink the East Indian Kool-Aid, uh, you know, it, from a career perspective, there's really four doors that are there for you for, as a, for a career. It's doctor, lawyer, engineer, or failure. Uh, and I picked door number three. <laughs> luckily, luckily, I did. Well, that eventually I picked door number four. <laughs> yes. Eventually, I picked door number four, according, uh, you know, according to my dad's eyes. But I picked door number three, which was the engineer. My dad was an engineer. And I hated that career. Uh, two years in, I got an opportunity to become a private investor with a Mexican restaurant chain that was coming up to Canada. And pretty soon, I was making five times more in dividends with that restaurant chain than I was making full-time as an engineer. Year three, I completely uh, quit engineering to become this entrepreneur, which was door number four. My dad and I, we just lost a relationship. He didn't speak to me after that for many, many years because of that decision. But I was happy as anything. I, I ran six or seven ventures, $20 million in revenues, absolutely loved what I was doing, ended up morphing into a management consultant. And there was this opportunity where I got, I got this opportunity, um, and it was a huge contract in Silicon Valley. Yet the contract terms were changing. And then something was again telling me to back away from that contract. Uh, and it was different from that voice. It was different from that something that was telling me not to go into engineering. And so I didn't because the money was so big and I went down to So Silicon you ignored Valley. it? I ignored it, yeah. And I went down to Silicon Valley and the company didn't pay me. And I ended up spending every single penny to go down there. And then I ended up coming back to Canada with only 25 cents, uh, 23 cents in my bank, bank account to be exact. Um, I was about to be married. Luckily, my wife was in India. And uh, that's where I met her. She's phoning, saying, how are things going, Sunil? And, uh, and I said, good. I'm just settling back in Calgary where I was heading back to. Meanwhile, all the wedding money's gone, and I had no clue where I was going to be sleeping that night. Um, and so, but perhaps the most devastating one that really got me to pay attention and really dive deep was when I was going through university, taking engineering, uh, I was also doing some personal coaching on the side. And one of my really good friends, she was being stalked at the time. And so she said, Sunil, I really need to talk to you. I need some advice. And again, something different was telling me, meet with her that afternoon. But I absolutely ignored that. And I said, why don't we meet a couple of days later? And what happened is the very next day, the guy that was stalking her walked up to her in a bus shelter and put a bullet through her head and killed her instantly. And now I've lost time, money, effort, and a very good friend because I ignored these some things. And I really need to take a deep dive into figuring out what the hell is the, are these something that I've just lost a friend over. Uh, and so... What I, I originally thought these see something's like signals, and so I distinctly remember somebody in my social media, uh, you know, circle who is an international psychic, and she talked about intuition and signals, and so that's really interesting. Let me go interview her, and so I took my film crew over to to interview her, and so she said intuition is energetic in nature. We have to change our belief systems, and the research just hasn't caught up to where we are. So what I liked about the energetic nature of intuition is that back in engineering, if you looked at things like steel, for example, steel has both a mass-like property and it has like an energy or wave-like property. So I completely understand, stood that from, if I if was to extrapolate that to intuition, so I see it like an art and a science. And so the art part are these signals, which I needed to figure out a little bit more, And the, but there was no science here. And so I was got a bit baffled by her saying, well, if it happened to me, and if 80 to 90% of these close to 300 business executives are saying that they ignore intuition, why is there no science to this? It just, it baffles me. And so I looked again in my social media circle and there was a neurologist that I knew. And so I said, I'm going to interview him. And I wasn't, I, I wasn't expecting much from him. I just wanted to see, okay, can you give me a glimpse that there's some science or one article? 
And so I went to his hospital, uh, set up in a boardroom, put on the camera, and I said, hey, Michelle, his name is Dr. Michelle Rathbone. Does intuition exist? And he says, it absolutely does. Uh, he starts giving me a neurological explanation of how the brain, uh, you know, the neurons in the gut are more concentrated, short circuits the brain. Uh, he also says that everybody has a sixth sense, uses it for his patients. And the one key thing he said is that more and more neuroscience research is coming out that's showing that intuition actually acts much earlier than we're consciously aware of it. And so I'm saying, wow, okay, so there is research. I need to go find out what this research is. And so I went to an, uh, an academic database and I typed in the word intuition and I'm expecting something like 10, 15 articles and I hit the enter key. Tens of thousands of articles, not just on the personal side, tons of stuff on the business side and tons of stuff like marketing allocation decisions, CEOs talking about it, uh, HR people talking about it, Harvard Business Review talking about it. I mean, there's just a plethora of this, these articles on intuition and then it started to really, you know, you know, when I could, when I was kind of struggling with the definition early on, uh, that now this is where I'm going to start looking at, okay, why did I struggle with the definition? So there was an article that shows that intuition actually hits the amygdala. Uh, there's actually four areas, but amygdala is primarily the one where it's the primitive part of the brain. There is no language associated with it. So that's exactly why I struggled with a common definition. I, I like I looked online, you know, I looked on uh, people were talking about it from voices from God and manifestation, which didn't resonate with me. What did resonate me was earlier I talked about the art and science. So because intuition hits the amygdala, there's no real language associated. So that's why I struggled with a common definition. I put my own definition on it. The other thing I, I used to think is that okay, if if I was if I had this voice at five years old. Perhaps I was born with it. And lo and behold, there's this research paper that shows that infants as young as two months old have been shown to have intuitive capabilities, or they, as they call it, intuitive physics in the paper. So there's that. And then with Dr. Michelle Rathbone talking about intuition happening much earlier than we consciously think about, here's this research paper that shows that intuition affects you on average seven to 10 seconds before you actually make a decision or take an action. Uh, and so that makes complete sense. And in fact, I, a colleague was telling me that there's a lot more research now saying that this is as early as 23 seconds before you actually take an action and make a decision. And the, another paper showed that they measured the heart rate and skin conductance of entrepreneurs as a proxy for intuition. They did an experiment and they showed that for entrepreneurs, intuition acted on average seven seconds before they actually made a business decision. So now I've got science backing the fact that we make personal decisions and professional or business decisions on intuition. I've got my definition in place. What is it? I see it as a blend of art. And, and in the art science, art part, I also extend it to more of the quantum physics. Um, I, I believe that, for example, we're intuitively connected. And so if you're halfway around the world and I'm connected with you, I know what's happening. But I can root that now into quantum theory and things with mirror neurons. So if there's something that seems sort of woo-woo out there that I, I seem to need to find some sliver of scientific evidence to really balance that, but others don't. I mean, others just know it, it happens. Like I, I interviewed a Buddhist monk and he says, yeah, it's, it, I live on intuition. I did my career. I want to become a Buddhist monk on intuition. It happens in different generations. He doesn't question it. And people say it comes through manifestation. It could become voices from God if they're very religious. And that's fine. That it's not for me to shove a definition down, uh, you know, Tony, your throat or anybody else's throat, right? It's, it's how you conceptualize it. Remember, it's down to the amygdala. It's the, it's that fight or flight. Uh, um, and that's how it works. And so, so you had to wrestle with it to come to terms for yourself and you being an engineer. This is what. This is how you went about it, right? Looking at the art, looking at the science, and you wrestled with it. You have your own personal concept, idea of it now. Is that, and we kind of have to do that ourselves. Absolutely. And, and, and so when we talk about, you know, hearing that voice and that gut feeling, we have to be very careful, uh, because, and, and let me, and this is a great segue into the next step, which is, okay, let's take a look at this art and science piece. So the art part are these signals. Is there more to these signals? Because why did I have a voice? earlier on and all these other signals that I absolutely ignored and why did I ignore them? And so I interviewed over a thousand people. And what I found is that 
your signals are actually into they're they're categorized into two different areas. One is positive signals, and the other is negative signals. The positive signals are the ones that are telling you that the decision you're about to make is the right one. And so, for example, things like uh, for me, it's the dots connecting or feeling a flow. But there's a CEO that I uh, interviewed. He's had two very successful ventures, and this is something he doesn't tell his board members. But he says he sees an omen. And this omen that doesn't have a shape or a color shows up on behind his right shoulder. And whatever he's doing, whether he's putting a business deal together, dealing with a vendor or hiring, if that omen pops up and he notices it, he just says yes right away. And 100% of the time it's worked out for him. Those are the positive intuitive signals. The negative intuitive signals are obviously the warnings that you have. And so these are signals that are saying you better back away from your decision and What's particular about these negative signals is they actually start very subtle in nature. And this is where the problem is for many of us. It's these whispers that are coming to us. And how many of us have actually walked into a room or met a person there's, and just said, there's something wrong here. Something is up. And it's that sort of that subtle uncomfortableness. And that's the subtle signal that we have. Um, and so what, with, with the intuitive signals for me, it's, it is that, that uncomfortable feeling or it's that gut feeling. And But what happens is as you continue to ignore them, they get louder and louder and they change until you can't ignore them anymore. And some, some of my interviews have attributed, uh, you know, getting into a car crash or wanting to take their own lives or becoming homeless as the ultimate negative signal for them before they started to trust their intuition to kind of get out of the mess that they were in. And so where we're, we have to be careful with these signals is that let's say we have this common gut feeling. So let's say, Tony, you and I have this gut feeling, which is a negative signal. And if we don't spend the time to really figure out what these inventory of signals are, which nobody really has to do until I've kind of uncovered this kind of quote-unquote research, let's say you have, you have that gut feeling and that for you is signal number one. That's fantastic. So every time you have a decision and that voice, that sorry, that gut comes up, you know that you need to back away. But let's say I haven't done enough work. And I also get that gut feeling. And we talk about this over a coffee and say, yeah, yeah, I get that gut feeling. But if I make the mistake of thinking that that's my signal number one, and it's actually signal number three, that means I've missed my first two signals. If I've missed my first two negative signals, that means I've made two bad decisions. Those two bad decisions could be a simple stubbed toe, or I could be, I could be headed for bankruptcy. I just don't know. And so the other way that I characterize intuition for many is that we, we actually need, we could stop there and just say, it's come, it's almost like driving a car. When you drive a car, you kind of push the button or you turn the key and you hear the engine whir, put it in drive or reverse, what have you. And then you simply drive. You don't need to pop open the hood, but I'm so nerdy that way. Maybe that's my engineering me that I needed to pop the hood and say, <laughs> Okay, there must be more to this thing called intuition outside the signals because a lot of people seem to ignore that. And what I found out through the, both the research and the interviews is that there's actually four types of intuition that actually work all together. Uh, and the best way I can show this, how these four types of intuition work, is from someone who's a non-believer. He was a non-believer. He was an investment banker. He was a very successful business person. Um, and so I went to, his name's John Rothschild and John, uh, I, I phoned him up and I said, Hey John, listen, I'm just starting some research on intuition to see how it, how it goes. And now you have to understand John, because he's an investment banker, data, spreadsheets, you know, analyzing businesses, that was his world. That's his language. It's his language. And so when you talk about, you know, going online and people saying it's voices from God and, uh, it comes from meditation. Yeah, that just doesn't resonate with him, right? Yeah. He was just saying, uh. Sunil, I don't know what we're going to talk about. We'll talk about intuition for five minutes, I think. And then the rest of 55 minutes, let's catch up. I haven't seen you for, for a while. And so I, I had no clue what I was going to expect. And I'm thinking, okay, oh my God, here's my first test, if anything. Or do I, is, is this intuition object thing just finished right here? Uh, and so as I turn on the camera, and so this is all stuff he says on camera. Uh, I, we start talking about these signals and I even could try and tell him about that CEO that sees omens. And he says, you know, Sunil, uh, you know what? I really would like to shake the hands of that guy who sees omens, but you know, intuition, you know, it's it, decisions in life and in business are based on learning your experience and your data. And I said, but hold on, John, 
Now we're starting to get into the four types of intuition. One of the four types of intuition is called experiential intuition. And if you think about, if you look at your brain like an iceberg, 90%, which is below water, is the subconscious part of your brain. And the 10%, which is above water, is your conscious part of the brain. If you're born with intuition, which the research is now showing is that you are born with it, every single day for your whole life, you've had experience upon experience upon experience, learning after learning after learning, good and bad, street smarts, formal learning, all of that put into the subconscious brain consistently, constantly, like a library. So that when you're uh, about to make a decision, your intuition goes into the subconscious area of your library, pulls apart all of the relevant learning experience and data you need for that decision and sends you a signal to either go ahead with that decision or back away. So when you get a signal, you're 100% fully informed about what's happened to you in the past. So we're not talking about luck or throwing a dice here as some people may characterize intuition. It is fully on with a lot of what you've been through. And in some cases, intuition has you go against the data. And so John perks up and he goes, oh my God, you know, I actually have an example of that. And I said, well, tell me what happened. So John was in the business of putting franchise locations. So if you put a McDonald's or a Wendy's or something like that, they have to do some a, a benchmark as to the location they put that in. And a successful franchise location is a 9 out of 10 based on his team's Things and they look at things like demographics, development, um, and uh, you know traffic flow. For example, there was this location, a dilapidated part of Toronto, uh, and his team measured that as a five and a half out of ten, not even close to the nine out of ten. Yet him and his partner go there. Now we're getting into the second of the two, called situational intuition. They go there and they took a look at that area and they just scan it, scan the situation, and John says something is telling me that we need to put that franchise location here. And his team was upset. This is a five and a half out of 10. Like uh, we're not in the business of losing money here yet. He says, we're going to go ahead. That decision ended up being one of the best franchise locations called the uh, beer market in his whole portfolio of franchises that has he ever opened. And so now he's getting it and he's starting to use, perhaps it was intuition. I'm not sure. His language is starting to change. Now we're get, getting him into understanding his decisions, the way he understands it, his experiences. He's getting educated on what intuition means for him. And so at some point, his purpose changes. He was telling me that at some point, he didn't want to be on the sidelines. He actually wanted to run a business. And now we're going to get into the third of the four called relational intuition. What relational intuition does in personal life and in business, is that it's going to filter the people through uh, and that so that you only allow the people on your inside who really care about where you want to go, what your purpose is, and they're going to support you through thick and thin. They're not yes people. These people will give you constructive criticism, but they really care about what you want. And so when John's purpose changed from going from an investment banker to running a business, all the people concerned about ego, money, fame, high-end restaurants, security, private jets, limousines. All of them told him he was nuts. Not one of them asked him, why? Why did you want to do this? What's your reasoning? Except his wife. And he looks at his wife straight in the eyes, and he says, this just feels right. There's the intuitive signal from a non-believer 45 minutes earlier. Yeah, he used the word feel, and that's your that that was a huge clue, right? It's not thinking, it's not data. It's yeah, exactly. It's all on camera, uh, and and you can see on my blog, I actually have there's a what is intuition blog on my intuitionology.com thing. You can actually see him talking about him talking exactly saying those exact same words. Um, and so now the fourth of the four is called creative intuition. Creative intuition gives you that opportunity to make that decision based on all the other three and the signals, uh, and. So you would think that somebody who's successful, like John, making three to four million dollars a year, would pick a business that is, you know, has great strong cash flows, you know, healthy revenue stream, you know, great balance sheet. Not his intuition. His intuition picks a tiny, bankrupt little restaurant. So he quits, rolls up his sleeves, and walks into that tiny, bankrupt little restaurant. That restaurant was Eastside Mario's location number one. And he grew that one location to over a thousand under different franchise locations, including the beer market. 
Um, and in 20 years, by the time he retired, he grew that into a $2 billion behemoth, all because it felt right. And that's the power of intuition. What are steps that, that we can take? Because we all have intuition. I mean, I, I, I do believe that. So are there ways to kind of get started and, you know, kind of capitalize on this, um, this gift? Yeah, absolutely. So there's, there's two ways that I always suggest. The one, the, the simplest way, and, I, and I'm sure your listeners are reflecting on this right now. Um, one of the simplest ways you can do is simply get a piece of paper and then start looking back at the decisions you made that were right and the decisions that you made that were wrong and start to characterize what you felt at that moment. But what's a little bit more important than doing that is there's a specific process that you have to do this in. Um, and so I actually, I have a seven day challenge, um, that people can go to when they go to intuitionology.com and it's free by the way. And what that seven day challenge does is that it actually takes you through a proprietary seven step process where you actually take a problem that you haven't solved in the past or you're struggling with solving. Uh, and you use the components of your intuition in a very specific way to solve that problem. And so let's go through how this is. It's really, really important to do. So the first thing is you identify a problem that you haven't worked, that you haven't, hasn't worked in the past. And what were the steps that you took that didn't work? When you look at the steps that you didn't work, those were your negative signals that were telling you, you tried something, it's not going to work, yet you ignored it. So the first. So the results, right? So the results, exactly. So the negative results in what you're saying are these are those, that first signal, the second signal that is saying, hey, this is not working. You should be yeah. paying attention to that. And it's also giving you a window into all the negative signals that you would have had because you, you, let's say you tried three or four things and they didn't work. Well, your intuition would have told you initially they didn't work. You just ignored them. So when you ignored them, what did it feel when you were ignoring them? And so what are those, was it a gut feeling? Was it like, huh, there's something wrong here? Did the hairs in the back of your neck stand up? Like that's the level of detail you get to, to get to, I see. to get to. I, and because I've experienced this myself. So I think what you're really saying is too, when you go through and write this down, yeah. You begin to see how it manifests itself to you because we're all individuals, right? So yep. it's it's going to show up differently for each of us. Isn't that really what you're Absolutely. saying here? By, by writing this down, you begin to see, ah, this is kind of how it works for me. Exactly. And so you and I can, let's say, with everything else being equal and we're both solving the same problem and we both tried the same step that didn't work. For you, it could be the hairs in the back of the neck. For me... It could be just maybe a twitch of, of muscle, right? And, and in fact, I had one one entrepreneur I talked to, his left earlobe gets hot. <laughs> and, and he never realized that. I can see why you don't go to the board and say this. You yeah, know, exactly. They're going to think you're absolutely crazy. I'm sure he's looking at this compensation, uh, you know, paper and his left earlobe's getting hot and he goes, oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> so, you know, so, so he walks around with his fingers on his earlobe, you know, all right. What's <laughs> It's like, what's this guy doing? You know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He needs some Q-tips. Or something's wrong with his ear. Yeah. So you, you might start this in the quiet of your own home. You know, where yeah. no one's going to judge you. Exactly. Exactly. And remember, these are all personal things, and it's not you're not waving a white flag saying, "Oh, I've identified a negative signal." I mean, some people like to do it with their family because they they've done it with their family members. They've they've true, tried true. it, and then they've exposed their kids, and 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 so I found that really encouraging. Uh, but so, so this is where you got to figure out what your negative intuitive signals are first. The next thing you do is you try and find out those moments where you can really think clearly, uh, and you cut out the noise. So for me, for example, in the shower, I do this when I'm driving long distances. In some cases, I, I, uh, I rent a room overlooking a hotel room overlooking Niagara Falls. And I just, when I'm staring at Niagara Falls and it's just so the, the majestic nature of the water and the mist. I, everything peels away. Like I can have my kids screaming behind me with my family members. And <laughs> That's just, your happy spot. It, it just, I, it all fades away. And so you, when you, when you go to that place where you can cut out and sometimes it's a walk or cycling, whatever it is for you, again, that's very specific. That's when you can open your, sort of open up the channels for the positive intuitive signals that come through. And then what you want to do is start thinking about, okay, how can I solve this problem now? What am I thinking? What's my intuition telling me? of the steps to solve this problem. And then as you start leading these steps down, these positive signals for you, again, they're going to feel like a flow. It feels right. Dots connecting. Some people feel a pull. And, and so these would have shown up in some of the, the good decisions you made in the past. But the reason why you do the negative signals first is if you try and force us uh, something to put in there as an act in your action plan, 
and it's the wrong one, you've already done the work on the negative signal. Your negative signal is going to pop up and say, ah, 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 Sunil, this, you're trying to force a, a step in here. That's, you're, you're trying to force a step that's not going to solve your problem. And so you take that step out. And so when you go through that iteration, what you're left with are all the steps to solve that problem based on your positive intuitive signals. And so now you have a plan in place. The step that you do after that, and this is really important, is to figure out who's going to help you solve that problem. So it could be your best friend. It could be a mentor. It could be someone you do, it's unrelated, maybe in on, on LinkedIn. But you need to figure out who that person is. Think about that person. And again, your intuitive signal is going to say have you, whether you pick the right person or not. Some people are going to try and force their best friend in because they want to feel cool that they're going through the seven-step challenge. Uh, you know, seven day challenge, but their intuition is going to say, uh, 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 that's an emotional decision. Don't rope somebody in. That's not going to give you the right information. Uh, and so again, your signals are very important on selecting the person that you need to have. Then what environment do you need to change into, if at all? And then finally, the thing is to take action. And what I do in the seven day challenge is I measure the strength of you, your intuition at the start and at the end. And I have close to 50, we're getting close to 55,000 people now coming through the, the seven day challenge. 100% of the time, the strength has increased from day one to day seven. And on top of that, uh, I give you a PDF worksheet that you can fill. And so you have this, you can download it and you can do it for every single problem in your forever. And the other thing on top of that is I've got two people that actually act as case studies for you uh, that go through each of the tasks if you want to use them as references to see what their decisions are. One of them, John Harris, actually sold his house in the seven days. In day one, he started with a realtor that threw a card in his face saying that he was going to only sell his house for $20,000 under asking price. Uh, and before this, the seven-day challenge, he would have said, oh, yeah, yeah, because he's just that type of nervous person. He would have signed and gotten convinced. Yet his intuition told him there's something wrong about this person. I'm going to wait. And by day seven, he had a bidding war and he settled on $50,000 over asking price. That's a $70,000 decision in seven days. It's not bad, 10 grand a day. But the other person is Ashley Michelle. And Ashley was actually a witness to a homicide. Not only was she a witness to a homicide, she actually walked into the apartment of her boyfriend after he had killed one of their best friends in the bathtub. He locks the door behind, him, uh, behind her puts a knife to her back and says, I'm already going away for one murder, but as well, we get two. You're next. Her intuition had to calm him down and watch him. So his intuition was on absolute heightened alert. He ended up choking her, assaulting her. She broke a couple of blood vessels in her neck. Uh, she was asked to clean the blood, which she refused. And there was an intuitive moment. There was a moment her intuition said, now, run now. And had she not taken that, that, that action, she would not, wouldn't have been alive. Uh, she would have been dead. And so she ran, unlocked the door, ran 18 flights of stairs down. Uh, so she suffered a lot with PTSD, depression, anxiety. She joined the seven day challenge to try and minimize that. It's not going to get rid of it. But what she found out at the end of the seven days is she could go to the gym to really kind of emotionally be supportive of herself, to really kind of unwind uh, and really minimize the effects. And she also learned how to start to trust people. And so, and she continues to work with me. She's a huge fan of what I'm doing because it is helping her live. That's all she wants because she, she was so scared. She has like 10 locks on her door and she can now not necessarily lock all of them. She's starting to loosen that because her intuition is helping her just get through life. So if these two people can go through something like a seven day challenge and you've got a burning business problem, uh, you can solve it in seven days for sure using your intuition. Oh, well, thank God you're able to help her and give her the support that she needs. Now, I'm going to link for everybody how to find you, you know, your website, your podcast, you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram, books, you, you've got everything there. What What's the best way for, let's say, a company that wants to, say, train its executives to kind of connect with you if, if this is, you know, if something that they'd like their um, executives to kind of uh, dig into? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, uh, if they, so there, I do have a five day, there's a couple of ways that I have a five day boot camp, um, that after the seven day challenge, people get introduced to. And this really works on the, there's four intuitive hurdles that really pummel them and squish their intuitive signals, especially if 
if you're not if you don't kind of trust those signals. And so in those five days, uh, I work with both businesses, well, three businesses, entrepreneurs, or personal people to really get in, t- in tune with that. Uh, and then if they want to have further discussion, they can email me at Sunil at SunilGodsey.com. We can set up sort of something customized. Uh, and then we can, we can actually go through uh, very, very specific areas, uh, in terms of leadership, HR, sales, marketing, uh, and how intuition needs to, it's basically intuition is a two way street. So not only is it your intuition that has to work, but it's also the intuition of your employees, your customers, and your vendors that are really important for them to solidify those relationships. And when you have those intuitive relationships, you're going to crush your competition every single time. And so we can do that as a one-on-one thing or as a group session with some customized pricing. So this is what kind of comes to me, as you, as you mentioned, some people don't want to mention this to the board and, and so on. So what are some of the practical steps that a person might take if if they wanted to try to incorporate this into their business making decisions? You know, what what can they do so they're not looked at like this is kind of out of left field? Because it's not. Yeah. And, and so th- there's things that are being thrown out like empathy. Um, uh, you know, and we, we have these and all it's, it's basically really establishing relationships with other people and not treating people like data points. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm oversimplifying a lot of it, but we're so we've got our heads in, in, in down, you know, looking at processes. We're looking at laggard indicators like PNLs. Uh, we're looking at transactional, uh, things when we hire some of the employees. And what we have to do is we have to manage people. We have to give them the space to be psychologically safe. We have to allow the creativity. We have to allow for failure. Our compensation systems need to also embrace that. Uh, we have to walk the talk, not just say something at town hall meeting and ask uh, something different. We have to look at our marketing message to say that, is it really uh, in tune with the values that other people have? And it's really getting to those corporate values, the core values that a company has, the personal values that you have, that's where intuition uses as a lens. And so if you look at the work that's doing on, say, even core values today with a friend of mine, Darius Metzger, uh, Darius Metzger, he's getting down to feeling-based core values. And he works with nine-figure companies, and he scraps their core values saying, okay, let's forget that. Let's go to feeling-based uh, core values because it's those feelings that want people to come work for you. It's those feelings that have employees open up to their managers it's those feelings that increase the productivity, increase the happiness, increase the culture because people want to work there. And when you have people working on all cylinders like that, leading people in that sort of empathetic way, not huggy, huggy, kumbaya stuff. This is just simply giving some space to understand other people, allowing them to be creative, uh, you know, having team meetings that are effective, not just here's the agenda, let's everybody contribute to this uh, and then you know, come to a common solution. And these aren't big, big things that need to change. Because these are all innate things in us. Remember, this is, this is something that we're born with. This is something that's already in our subconscious. I'm not giving them a tool uh, or a process that's proprietary that they have to go through hoops. And this is stuff that we're all born with that we're all maximizing so that we can all come to the end goal, which is, you know, serving the purpose of serving the customer. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm just shining a light on what everybody already has and putting some efficiencies in the workplace. And when, when that happens, you blow by, by the competition because they're not even, they're, they're op, not even operating like that. And that's how you win in business. Well, I suggest everyone go and take this seven-day challenge and write down your examples, what's happened. And, you know, let's continue the conversation on social media. Let's see, you know, what the results are, what's happening. And then we can have a follow-up. We can talk about, you know, what's happened, what the results were. And maybe someone would be brave enough to come on and discuss it with us and discuss it with you. It'd be a fantastic way to, to see this thing, you know, come, come full circle. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that, that's great. Sunil, anything else that you, you'd like to, to leave the, the listeners with today? The main thing is when you do this, you have to take action. You have to take action. And I'll give you, I'll just leave you with two quick case studies of what happens when you don't take the action or you're not really present when you're doing this. Uh, a really good friend of mine, uh, Vin Jang, uh, he came on my podcast here. This guy, uh, so he was a, a uh, an international magician, now turned communicator. He he uh, in back in um, 2016, his he was speaking uh, speaking to 100,000 over 100,000 people on 80 stages around the world. Externally, he looked like everything was going right for him, living in downtown LA and a whole bit. His life was crap. He goes and takes six months away and looks at the values that he wants to live his life with, and he puts these values up on a wall. 
And he looks at them and he said they were frightening. So this is what my mom wants. This is what my wife wants. This is what society wants. My friends want. This is what, where am I? And so he redoes that exercise, goes to his values. And he, when he does that, he comes, he, saw, he said it was frightening, but he slips back in that external validation of going back with the wrong crowd and living downtown LA. And, and so he just never took action. So he did the concept, but he never turned that into action. And so it, it had him six, he wasted six months doing that. His mom comes up, his parents come up and his mom says, he says, there's this, there's this Vietnamese saying that when you hang around squid, you're going to get some ink on you. And he said that his wife, his, his mother was saying, you're hanging around a lot of squid. This is not my boy. You better move away. And that got him to redo the whole exercise. And then he started stripping away people. He moved out to the country. He gave up his, his, his expensive car because they didn't matter to him. What mattered was he loved his wife, his child. Uh, he was truly being authentic to his friends. Um, and, and that was good. And so one of the things I talk about is called opportunity cost. And in that podcast interview with Vin, and again, he's in that main blog on intuitionknowledge.com, the last uh, case study. The one thing I tell him is that, Vin, there's something called opportunity cost. It's not just the six months that you lost not living based on intuition. It's the six months that you also lost because you could have gained that back doing the right thing. So you've actually lost a full year of your life. And if you're in the business of helping people, how many people did you leave behind? How many people did you not help? And he says, I never thought about it that way. And when we talk about being in the present moment, I'll leave your listeners with this, this case study. It's about battling that fear. When you have a signal, you have to, the signal is telling you, you already have that, that in you, you've already have the raw skills. You just have to put one foot forward again and again. And one of the, the fellows I also interviewed was a fellow by the name of David Dame. He had cerebral palsy in, in a wheelchair all his life. His absolute dream was to just simply have somebody lift him up and feel the sand and the ocean water in his toes. Never ever uh, do this. A couple of years ago, he gets that opportunity. He gets wheeled up to that, that water sand barrier and he stands up and he falls flat on his face. And he says, then the embarrassment comes in, the fear comes in. He says, Sunil, I have two things I can do at this point. I can sit back in that chair and I can forever regret that I can turn my dream into reality. I am right here. Or I can trust my intuition that's signaling me to take a step in the water, to take the next step to take the next step, do the action. And he points to his chin. He says, the water gets up to about here. And then he turns around and he hasn't realized how far he has gone. That's what happens when you battle your fears. You trust those signals to move, take one step forward. Because we talk about concepts. We talk about intuition. We follow things on social media. We want to do stuff, but we never take action. And there's no wonder that in a room full of 25,000 people, this is a statistic I've gathered with all their hands saying, I'm going to change. The number of people that change is only one. And I want that one person to be every one of your listeners. Take action. Take action. Well, I'm all about action. That's my, that's how I lead. And I think, I think my listeners are as well. This is all about learning, taking the new information, acting and getting better, winning at work. So, Neil, this has been just absolutely a, a fantastic uh, uncovering of something we've all had to deal with, uh, experience. Now, hopefully, maybe some people have been stuffing those those feelings. Maybe now you'll go back in that seven-day challenge and kind of go through, look at what's happened in the past, look at the new problem that you're trying to deal with. And, uh, yeah, maybe you'll be brave enough to come out and and tell us, you know, how this has turned around and you can be a, another case story here for Sunil. Sunil, thank you so much for, for being here today. No, oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity.